Exodus chapter 40, and I'm going to read from verse 26 to the end of the chapter. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. Please turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to read from chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Spirit of God. Well, last week we kicked off uh, our new series, True Community, Why We Need the Church. Uh, if you didn't grab one of these last week, there's hopefully one near your seat, uh, near you on your seat, uh, page 12, if you're a note taker. But let me pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that we can gather together, that we can hear your word read to us in English, that we can understand it. And we ask that your spirit would open our ears, our hearts, our minds, and that we would worship you all the more. Amen. Uh, Almost every second day or two, I say something that's heretical, which is not good when you're a minister. But I'm not alone, because many of you would say it too. Uh, I'll prove it. What is this? This picture on the screen. church. According to the Bible, you're wrong if you said a church. That in no way describes what a church is. You want to see what a church looks like? Look around. It's a people, not a place. My question is, why do we get it so wrong? Why do I get it so wrong? I think at one level, just a basic word association. You know, that's my church. That's the school I went to, even though there's no kids in it, right? It's just a basic word association. But I think it's actually something deeper. When we think of holy, sacred, the divine, we think of a place more so than a people. About nine years ago, I was in London, and London has this unusual thing where museums are free to go into, but churches you have to pay to go into. And so as I was going into these churches, people, the way they entered this building, it, they changed the way they, they held themselves. So they would walk in, and they would sort of bow, they'd go quiet, sense of respect. They felt like they were getting closer to God by being in these buildings. Some people wouldn't even enter them because they felt like they were going to burst into flame. Why, when we think holy, do we think candles and cathedrals and mood lighting and sandstone? Why is it when you look around, holy is not the first word that comes to mind when you think of what we're doing here tonight? Because it does for God. What I want to look at is how church is a people, not a place. How we came to that. And then look at three things in response. The first thing I'm going to say is probably not going to surprise you all that much. But it's this. God is holy. In Isaiah 6, it says this. Holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now the word holy there, it's mentioned three times, right? That word holy means unique. That there is no one like God. That he is completely distinct from the world in which he made. You know when you're going for a walk, and you feel like, ooh, I feel like God is in the wind. God is not in the wind. He made the wind. He's above it. What you're feeling is just a cool southerly. He's distinct from his world. But more than that, the word holy means purity. That there is no evil, no sin, nothing dirty within God or can come near him. A good way of describing it is like the sun. In it, our sun is unique in our galaxy. There is only one sun. So you could say the sun is holy. And the sun, everything centers around it. And the sun's rays gives life to everything, just like God's holiness gives life to everything. But the thing is, the closer you get to the sun, the more dangerous it is, isn't it? There's plans to visit Mars. There are no plans to visit the sun. That's a one-way trip. And like the sun, God, who is holy, the closer you get to him, the more dangerous it is. Not because he's bad, but because he is so good. So God is holy. But the problem is, we're not. Our sin, our selfishness, our rejection of God means that we cannot look at the face of a holy God and live. In the Old Testament, there's a guy called Moses who... He wants to see the face of God. And God says, no, because it will kill him in an instant. You cannot, as a sinner, look in the face of a holy God and live. But it's more than that. There's a book. It's more than just morality. There's a book which you probably know about you've never read in the Bible. It's a book called Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, it goes to in depth of all these rules and, and laws about keeping yourself clean and pure and holy. And there's rule after rule after rule about not touching people with skin disease, dead bodies, people who are bleeding, don't eat certain foods, certain animals. Because if you did, if you touch them, then the impurity from that will transfer onto you, make you impure and unclean. And as an unclean person, you cannot approach a holy God. So we cannot go near God and God cannot come near us because he is holy and we are not. But if you remember last week when we looked at true community, that it was God's idea to be in community with us and each other, then this creates a bit of a problem, right? How can a holy God be in relationship with an unholy people? There's this tension. And so God has a solution. What he does, and you see in the Old Testament, God, as we saw it in the reading that was read to us, God dwells in a tent in the center of his people. The tent of meeting, so that they could approach God. In Exodus 40, it says this, 
Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This meeting place is where God's people could meet God, and they could encounter him. And this tent transfers to a more permanent building, a temple. And the temple was a reminder that God is holy and no one could just waltz in into God's presence and say, here I am to worship. God's people had to be holy in order to approach a holy God. So there's a number of things around the temple. There was rituals where people had to clean themselves of the impurities that they've interacted with in order to approach God in the temple. Even something as simple as mold in your house. If you had mold in your house, you had to make sure your house was clean so that you were clean, so that you could approach God in the temple. Not only that, there were sacrifices. You had to come to the temple with a sacrifice to acknowledge the sin that you had done. But not only that, there were priests who would take your sacrifice and offer it to a God to God for the forgiveness of your sins. But not only that, in the center of the temple was this the Holy of Holies, the, this hot spot of God's glory that only one person once a year could enter to make a sacrifice for the whole people. And this was off limits, right? This was guarded by a thick curtain. The whole temple was a reminder that God is holy. God is pure. God is perfect. And we are not. You cannot just walk into God's presence and say, take me as I am. Let me tell you uh, an embarrassing story that happened to me. And I assure you it has a point. Uh, and, uh, not too long ago, I was swimming with my, one of my daughters in a, la- a lap pool. We're in the casual swimming lane having fun. But then all of a sudden, something happens, which is probably every parent's nightmare. We're swimming, and my daughter does a poo. Swim nappy on. But some of it gets out. And in this moment, things just slow down. You just realize what has happened, and you look around. Now, I had been aware, because my wife had told me uh, of an incident when she was at Homebush swimming pool, and a kid had done a floater and anyway what they have to do is they call it code brown everyone has to leave the pool for an hour no one can go into the pool and they pour in all these extra chemicals to make sure the pool is clean so I know that right and here I am with my daughter thinking oh no all these people are swimming in these lanes anyway so I I go to the lifeguard I say look this has happened they says alright what we'll do We'll close the lane you're swimming in. And that's it. That was his solution. Just close that lane. Now, I'm not sure whether poo particles are aware of the lane divisions in a pool. I don't think they are. But that was his solution. It can often be our solution when it comes to God and his holiness. We think, I'll just fix up this bit. 
I'll just close off this area thinking everything will be okay. But it's not. In order for that pool to be clean, the whole thing needed to be changed. In order for us to be holy, all of us needs to change to be made holy. Something interesting happens later on in the Old Testament with a guy called Isaiah. He's a prophet. And he finds himself standing in the middle of a temple, the temple. And he freaks out. He says this, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He knows he's going to die. But then a seraphim, this interesting beast, takes a coal from the fire. And it places it on his lips. And as it does it, the Lord says, your guilt is taken away, verse 6, and your sin atoned for. That God reached out and made Isaiah holy rather than Isaiah making himself holy. That God reached out and made him pure rather than Isaiah reaching out and making himself pure. God removes his sin so that Isaiah can face to face see the living God and live. And you read that moment in the Bible and you think, what does this mean? And we have no idea until Jesus comes along. If you skip over the Old Testament, you miss out. Well, you, you, you don't appreciate a whole bunch of things when it comes to Jesus. Like, for example, when Jesus goes around touching the little girl who's dead and raising her to life. Or lepers. Or the woman who is bleeding. When he touches them, their impurity doesn't transform onto him. No, no, no. His holiness trans- pours out into them. And they are healed. And they are made pure and right. But more than that, Jesus said, when he's in the temple, tear down this temple and I will build it up again in three days. Now, people are probably freaking out at this point. We need this temple. How are we going to meet with God? We need the sacrifice. We need the priests. But Jesus wasn't talking about another building construction. He was saying he was going to be the new temple. That he was going to be the meeting point between you and God. He would be the high priest who would enter the very holy of holies for us. He would be the sacrifice paid once and for all. And he would do it through his death and resurrection. See, just as God gave Isaiah that coal and said, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for, Jesus' death declares to you Your guilt is taken away and your sin is no more. I've been reading uh, Hebrews uh, in my personal devotions and I came across this verse. Hebrews 10, verse 10. We, 
This is everyone who's a Christian. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That because what Jesus has done on that cross, you are holy. Your sin, your impurity is no more. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Which means you're a saint. You, a saint. Put that in your resume. A saint because not, you've, not because you've done a miracle, but because a miracle has been done in you. When Jesus died, there's this moment where it describes the curtain in the temple ripping from top to bottom. Because as if God was saying, now you can approach me. You can see me and live. You can come face to face with a holy God. That's why it says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we, have a, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain as, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. No worship leader, no priest, no building, no song will bring you close to God. Only Jesus Christ will. Without Jesus, access is denied. Now, I don't want to be naive. The buildings we meet in do play some significance. You know, they influence our experience. If you meet in a cathedral or a community hall, it does experience, you experience different things. But in the end, it makes no difference where you are as a church, where you meet. But it is all based on what Jesus has done, that you are close to a holy God. You go up the street, you'll find Kirribilli House. At Kirribilli House, if you go there, there's bollards, there's gates, there's police, there's security. All saying one thing, you cannot just walk in. But if you're there with Alex or Daisy, the Prime Minister's children, and they take you in, the bollards go down, the gates are opened, the cops wave you in. And you get to go to the Prime Minister's personal space. Not because of you, but who you're with. You get to approach the personal space of God himself because of Jesus Christ. But God comes closer still, you know. In the reading that was read to us from Ephesians, Chapter 2, it says this, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too were being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. For those of us who are Christian, like God's glory filled the temple, God's glory fills you. 
that the Holy Spirit lives in you. That you are a temple. Now remember what I said a moment ago, right? Moses couldn't look in the face of God and live. Mold disabled you from approaching the temple. No one, except one person, once a year, could enter the Holy of Holies. And yet the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives in you. How holy must we be for God to live in us? Brothers and sisters, we don't have to enter a building to meet with God. We gather together to meet with God. We don't need to go to a temple. We are the temple. This is not a church. This is the church. This is not holy. This is holy. All because Jesus has changed everything. And because that is the case, we now get to do what we were originally made to do. And that is worship God. To praise Him, to adore Him, to delight in Him. And so what I want to do now is just end with three things of what we do as a gathered community. As a gathered church community and why we do those things. The first is we gather together to encounter God. Just like God's people gathered to encounter God in the temple, we gather together to encounter a living God. It's not a, par- it's not a distant memory. It'd be nice if Jesus could be here. But Jesus is actually with us when we meet. Hear these remarkable words in Matthew 18. For when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. That Jesus is here with us as we meet. And know how you can tell if he is? His word is opened. It is the center of what we do. And the Holy Spirit illuminates his word and prompts us to worship him. Tell you what I mean by this. Take, for example, a fireman. A fireman's putting out a fire, right? His preferred way of doing it is with what? A hose and water. He could do it other ways, blankets, other things. But nine times out of ten, a fireman will use a hose and water. If you've got a hose on the floor without a fireman, it's useless. not going to do much good. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, nine times out of ten, he will speak to you through the Bible. That is preferred way of you hearing from the living God. But if this, but this in the end is just a book, just words, and always remain just words unless the Spirit is making it come alive, prompting you in your heart to hear and respond and to worship the God who is speaking to you. And the good and the amazing thing about this is when we gather, you can worship where you are in your seats, as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. 
People have sat where you have sat. And they have moved from death to life. Without lifting a finger. And worship Jesus for the first time. As you hear God's word read and preached, the spirit works in you in making you aware and amazed and dazzled by what Jesus has done for you. Saved a sinner and turned you into a saint. And you see by faith the living Jesus. Have you ever had the experience where you feel like the sermon was written just for you? You know, it feels like almost I was speaking directly to you. I've had this a couple of times. I'll give you a, a clue into preaching world. I don't write sermons thinking of individual people. Like, it'd be really good if Joel was here because he really needs to hear this. I don't do that, right? You know why? Because chances are on that Sunday, Joel's not going to be here. I may not be thinking of you, but the Holy Spirit is. And it just so happens that you're here on a particular Sunday, hearing a particular word, and the Holy Spirit is prompting you, speaking to you, to worship your Lord Jesus all the more. So that's the first thing. We come to encounter God. The second thing we do is come to praise God. 